and welcome to the How CMOs Commit podcast. I'm Margaret Malloy, Global Chief Marketing Officer of Siegel & Gale. This is a podcast to explore how the world's top CMOs are building their brands and the professional commitments they are making as leaders. This podcast is a recording of our Future of Branding series. From the decisions facing CMOs to the commitments they are forging, the conversations are uniquely vulnerable and strategic. Please be sure to listen to the end when I provide my reflections. This is how CMOs commit. Hello and welcome to the Siegel & Gale Future of Branding Roundtable. Every episode, we meet five marketing leaders live to explore how they are building their brands. I'm your host, Margaret Malloy, Global Chief Marketing Officer of Siegel & Gale. Siegel & Gale is a preeminent brand strategy, design and experience firm. Today, I'm especially delighted to welcome you to our third annual Pride edition. The global population of LGBTQ consumers has a combined purchasing power of $3.9 trillion. Brands have received the memo as evidenced by the explosion of activity for Pride Month. From rainbow washed and rainbow wrapped logos to limited edition merchandise and more. For its part, the market is vast, diverse and constantly evolving. For example, one in six US Gen Z adults identifies as LGBTQ. Another study revealed that less than half of Gen Z respondents identify as completely straight. Today, we will explore how brands are observing Pride Month, balancing authenticity with action, and the trade-offs required to show up for the community. I'm also hoping we will hear some personal stories. To our audience, I know we have hundreds of guests joining from around the world. I invite you to let us know where you are joining from, say hi to the panel, or respond to the opening question in the chat. Speakers, as I introduce you, please answer this question with one word. When you hear Pride Month, what word comes to mind? Let's first welcome Bradford Shellhammer, Vice President of Buyer Experience and eBay for Charity. eBay, joining from the Hudson Valley. I would answer loud. Okay, loud. Next, let's go to London to meet Mark Harrop, Head of Communications at the Cabinet Office. A journey. Journey. Okay, Rachel Tippograph is the CEO and founder of Micmac in New York. Hi, my answer is Joy. Also in New York, we have Walter Fry, the Vice President of Global Brand Engagement and Design at American Express. Hi, I'm going to say Rainbow. And finally, let's greet Thomas Reyes, Vice President of Global Branding at Uber, joining from San Francisco. Hello from the West Coast. I would say change. Okay, what a lovely collection of words. So let's begin some individual conversations. And a reminder to our audience, here's the run of show. 
We've done the introductions. I will now have individual conversations with each speaker, return to all for our commitments round, and conclude with my reflections. So Bradford, you said loud. Tell us why. Well, I'm a Gemini, and most things I say tend to have two meanings. And uh, the answer for me is loud because pride is really sparked from protest. It's modern form today. And so I do think that in an era where, you know, a, a transgendered person's life expectancy is literally decades below gay and straight people, I think we still have the responsibility to be loud and be seen and be visible to give hope to other people. I think loud also can translate to the positive side too. So I've been on my fair share of floats and dance floors and and um, marching down uh, Fifth Avenue over the years. So I do think that there's like, you know, anyone who's gay, I think knows that life is, it burns at two sides of a candle and, and, and that whatever uh, we've experienced that has been completely like painful and hard has often been made up and oftentimes made up even more so with the, you know, found family and shared experiences of culture and art and protest and just fun that I think that like gay people have this awesome ability to take pain and turn it into beauty and art often. And uh, just that word is, is my way of, of honoring that. So you immediately touched on your personal experience. Have you ever had a moment where you felt alienated or even included because of your orientation? And how has that influenced you as a marketer? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, yeah, I mean, one of the things that people who work for me today say, I tell a story often, and it wasn't too far for a long, uh, far ago, where someone told me that I would be way more successful if I would tone it down. And <laughs> as anyone who knows me, I've never toned it down. And, uh, you know, I answered the question to someone actually with great power over me in my career with, hey, that that reeks of homophobia to me, you better be careful about what you say. So I think I've oftentimes been told to be quiet, keep it down from the earliest moments of my childhood. Um, but I'm here living proof that you can actually turn that voice and into uh, you can sell it to the world and actually make a career out of being loud. And I encourage other people to do it. So let's turn to your day job at eBay. What is eBay doing to observe Pride Month and what is your strategy? Yeah, that's a great question. I think that eBay, I'll answer the question in two ways. eBay is just this awesome company that's founded on economic opportunity for everyone. That's whether you're, you know, halfway across the world from Silicon Valley, or if you are a single mother or a small business, black, white, gay, straight, whatever. And so allowing that kind of opportunity and just the, the premise that eBay was founded on, which is people are just inherently good. It's not something that we have to color our company in rainbow colors every June. It's like our living and breathing ethos is that we are a diverse marketplace that honors diversity, everything that we do. And it's kind of pride every day at eBay. One of the things I'm most proud of in my day job is I have this amazing honor to build the technology that powers eBay for charity. Um, eBay for Charity is a platform that's 20 years old that's raised over $1 billion in charitable funds for a myriad of different charities, including many gay and lesbian, bisexual, transgendered uh, charities. And so, um, you know, we have awesome events and parties. eBay has sponsored prides all over the world. and But all of that is just 
that's just icing, frankly. It's it's not how I would say we honor or celebrate pride. I think we do that every day with just like the business that we built. It allows gay people to earn a living on our platform and it allows those who care about causes near and dear to gay and lesbian transgender people to either sell on their behalf or buy buy as a way to donate um, funds to these organizations. Now, Bradford, last time I looked, I think it was you have 187 million buyers on the platform. How do you balance supporting the community with the possibility of backlash, frankly? Yeah, again, we're an interesting company that's literally founded on this premise of everyone is good. And so I don't think that eBay, we um, were walking around thinking about backlash. We do what's right. And what's right for us is is fairness and equal opportunity. And so if that risks some kind of backlash, I think that sure, whatever. But we are a company that that uh, lives and breathes its morals and its ethos, and it feels good to come to work here every day. So we're not worrying about those types of things, I don't think. Bradford, we see during the month of June a lot of performative behavior on the part of brands, so-called rainbow washing, deploying the flag or creating the special edition merchandise, etc. What's your perspective on how brands can avoid being performative and, frankly, be authentic? Yeah, it's a great question. And it's one that, I mean, my age range maybe makes me have to be a little old fashioned. I'm a little less combative, a little less, I think, political than maybe I used to be. I actually think it's a lovely compliment. And the if is the a big if. If the values of the company match the the artifice of the uh, just painting an experience uh, or a page with rainbow colors. I speak at a lot of panels for young people, whether it's pride related or not. And one of the things that people ask me is like, you know, how do I find a company that where I can fit in and, and be heard? And and I say, you folks, you young people, you literally have the world at your hands. You can research and find out who's contributing to what, who's supporting what laws. And the first place I suggest to people when they're looking for a job is find companies to target and go after that share your values. And I think the same applies. If you see a company and they are celebrating pride, it takes all of a couple minutes to understand if that is like empty or real. And um, I encourage those that aren't real, backlash, be vocal, tweet at them, scream, stop buying their stuff. Those who do it, I would say, um, expect the best. Don't be cynical. Oftentimes that stuff really means a lot for the people actually, the gay people working at the company to see their company take a stand. And that I really believe strongly that all visibility, whether it's a, at the corporate level, a politician, individuals, family members, it all helps and adds up and matters. But don't allow people who are insincere and using it as a way to sell things to get by. But expect the, the companies that are, are doing it out of, I think, goodness, which I think is most of them, just um, be be cool with that and actually maybe go buy whatever they're selling that month. Thank you, Bradford. And for reminding us not to be cynical. Important <laughs> reminder. Thanks, Bradford. Thank Let's you. now go to London, where Mark Harrop heads communication at the Cabinet Office. Cabinet Office is essentially, I would think, the engine room of the civil service linked to 10 Downing Street. Mark, your word, journey, interesting choice. Tell us why. Uh, thanks very much for having me. So I think the word journey can be kind of split into two ways similar to how Bradford just said. 
I think there is a journey of the community, and I think you also go on your own personal journey when it comes to pride. I've been very privileged, mainly as, 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 a, as a white gay male, um, compared to the people within the community. Um, originally, I used to go to Pride and it was a big party, and it is that. But the more you go, the more you learn. And it's not just about you know, this, you know, the floats and, and the Pride and all that kind of stuff. It's understanding the history of your community. It's understanding the problems within your community about racism within the LGBT plus community, the difficulties that our trans, um, well, our trans friends go through as well. And then also more um, other areas in terms of like pansexuality and intersexuality. And that takes time to learn. You don't need to know everything straight away, but you need to be able to go and speak and to listen to people. And I think that's really important to pride. And I think also in terms of a journey, rainbow washing, you know, when you, know, you think back 10 years, maybe not a lot of companies were putting rainbows on their logos. And a few years ago, there was this kind of sudden explosion of it. And I think similar to what Bradford had been talking about, some brands, got on board very quickly and did great jobs about, you know, going into their own companies, making sure that they had inclusive policies and were able to kind of express pride um, proudly, um, to, to coin a phrase. But then over the last few years, we have seen this very, very quick shift for the LGBT plus community, sniffing out those companies which, you know, try and put a rainbow on it, but then you dig underneath the surface and maybe it's not um, as, as authentic as what they um, what they think. So I think, yeah, pride can be a, is a journey for, for everyone, both as brands, individuals and the community um, as a whole. Mark, on your personal journey, have you ever felt excluded? I've been incredibly lucky in my career that I haven't been discriminated against per se. However, you know, there have been the odd comments like, oh, that's so gay in the office and things like that. And I take the view of it's about educating people. I don't think, well, I'm happy to say that the majority of people that I've ever worked with um, have never said that in an offensive manner. It's just an ill-educated manner. So, you know, I've been extremely lucky. I work with amazing people in, in my career. And the civil service is a great place to work, um, you know, if you are from the community. Mark, how is the Cabinet Office and the civil service more generally observing pride? So the civil service has um, the civil service LGBT plus network, which is a fantastic network, which brings together all the LGBT plus networks from across different Whitehall departments. And they do fantastic stuff throughout Pride and also throughout the year as well about whether that is bi visibility or LGBT plus parents, lots of different things. Normally for Pride, we would be at Pride in London and also all the, the uh, capital nations um, of the United Kingdom. Sadly, obviously, um, because of COVID, that's not what we're able to do this year. But there's been some great Pride panels and also the annual LGBT plus quiz, which is always uh, very well um, attended. Mark, in terms of Pride Month, how can public communications set the tone? And is there any historical learnings? I'm thinking in particular around HIV AIDS or other contexts that you may have learned from. So I think that our communications across the year need to have insight built into them. You know, the one thing that we found um, is, you know, the most vulnerable in society, we need to have insight as to how to communicate them. We can't treat everyone in the United Kingdom as, you know, one entity. We need to have that insight. So, you know, we have to learn from past mistakes. Back in the, the 80s, there was the for, for American uh, friends on the um, on the call, 
there were some adverts around quite scaremongering, not very good um, adverts around HIV. Now we look at how we uh, communicate around things like equal marriage and LGBT plus um, laws in this country. And it's making sure that we've got the proper insight so that, you know, we are, um, you know, putting across the right message um, and, you know, not scaremongering, basically. Mark, over the past year, you've been on secondment to the NHS. Is there anything in particular as it relates to vulnerable communities that you've learned there that's instructive as we think about pride and communications in general? Yeah, so um, like I say, I've been, I've been coming to, to the, the COVID response um, here in the United Kingdom. I think what we've found is that obviously throughout the pandemic, it's, it's affected everybody, but we've had to have a particular focus on the most vulnerable in our society. There was a great campaign um, by Women's Aid in this country, um, which talks about when the first lockdown happened, you know, we were meant to be at home and that was meant to be the safest place. But for so many vulnerable communities, including LGBT plus people, home might not have been their safest place because of family issues in terms of their family not accepting them or for their family maybe even finding out. You know, we like to think that you know, everyone is free to come out and it will all be fine. Unfortunately, that's not the case everywhere. I'm sure um, colleagues in America will, 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 will probably echo that as well. So what we found is that we had to work um, with individual groups in order to make sure that we're getting the right support there. And I think there's really good key learnings we can take that, you know, from the, this awful pandemic, but use that as a key learning for communications and activity moving forward as well. Very briefly, Mark, from your vantage point, how can brands avoid performative alignment with pride? Just, I mean, I think this is one of the things you see some of these brands who, you know, maybe do something, they bring out a product and they're not, you know, donating to a charity or something like that. And you think to yourself, who are the people who have had this meeting? It's not like it's, you know, this is brand new and, you know, this is, you know, something for the first time. I think to myself, have a look at you, your own company. Have you got the right employment policies? And also speak to your employees as well. Think about what is it that they want you to do as a brand around Pride and use your employee relations and your employee insights to make sure that you get it right. Because I think that's the most important thing. And also as well, I would say is that the, you know, the minimum you can do is you know, at least donate to a charity. But then when you start to think about that again, think about your employees and ask them what kind of charities they might want to um, donate to. Or if you're a more regional brand, look at some local brands as well. There's, you know, there are some great, you know, LGBT plus uh, homeless charities or HIV charities. You know, don't necessarily just go, ah, oh, I know that's a big, that's a big charity. I'm going to go donate to them. Just do some insight, do some research, take your time. Don't go, you know, at the end of May, oh, it's Pride Month in a day. Quickly, let's jump on it. Plan it into your into your resource planning, and you know, just make sure you get it right, and that makes it better for everyone. Well, thank you, Mark, and for reminding us of the importance of being research-based and getting some insights. Let's now go to Rachel. So Rachel, Micmac, leading e-commerce platform, earlier stage company, and in fact, ranks among the highest scoring businesses on Inc. Magazine's annual list of best places to work for in 2021. So bravo on that. Rachel, your word was joy. Tell us why. Uh, wouldn't the world be better if everyone was gay? You know, uh, I grew up in Northern New Jersey in a pretty 
heteronormative suburban area. And growing up, you kind of just wish everyone around you was more like you, which for me was being gay. Uh, but it took, you know, finding my community in my early 20s to really make that happen. And now I just try to live out that joy every single day, regardless if it's the month of June or not. So, Rachel, you're a founder. You've also worked in corporations before that entrepreneurship manifest itself. Any personal experience that was instructive that may influenced how you lead this company today? Yeah, you know, so uh, before I built Micmac, I worked at Gap on their global marketing team. And Gap is actually a really progressive company. The Fisher family who founded Gap in 1969, they either were the first or one of the first companies in America in the 70s to provide health benefits to same-sex couples. So, you know, when I started working at Gap in 2011, I told people that I was straight, uh, which is still hard to believe. <laughs> and uh, I ended up coming out towards my, towards the end of my three years there. And subconsciously, I actually think that Gap was a big part of that because I was surrounded by a lot of corporate executives who were gay. And it just, you know, normalized the experience for me gave me role models to look up to. And again, I, I really think that Gap leads by example in terms of you know, how they invest in their employees, regardless of their skin color or orientation, you know, political background, et cetera. So in building Micmac, I definitely already knew what great sort of looked like. Um, but when you're a small company, you don't have the resources of a publicly traded company. And so for me, you know, I have this mission statement that I just try to live up to every day, which is to build the next great company that people want to work for. And in the early days of Micmac, you had to get creative on how to deliver that to your employees because you didn't have endless funding to just invest in programming that or benefits that you really believed in. But every year as the company performs better and better, we just take all of that and we invest in our employees. Um, and so, yeah, I think past career experiences certainly provided a guidebook on you know what great could look like. Rachel, attracting and retaining talent is always a big issue, especially for technology companies. I know you're in a very competitive market here in New York City. Do you see any role for celebrating Pride Month in that agenda? Yeah. So uh, while the company is legally headquartered in New York, we actually have employees in 20 states and two continents. So we're, we're a pretty hybrid remote company. And a big reason for that was diversity. You know, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy to only recruit from New York, but when we can go to Atlanta, Philadelphia, St. Louis, Dallas, it really starts to change the makeup of the company, which has been pretty remarkable. I'm pretty public about being gay. I'm super proud and I wouldn't say it's plastered all over our website, but if you do Googling on me or Micmac, it's it's pretty evident that I'm a gay founder. And a lot of my employees have told me when they joined Micmac, they really wanted to work for a gay leader. Um, and they've never had the opportunity to do that before. And so I, I do think that's an element of um, the recruiting process. And then, you know, in terms of inclusiveness, even being a gay female founder, at an enterprise SaaS company, I have my own blind spots too, right? I have to identify the privilege that I was born into. And so from a leadership standpoint, I tried to create as much diversity as possible on my leadership team. 
you know, so 20% of my leadership team identifies as not straight, 33% of my leadership team identifies as not white. At a company level, that's even higher. I think our latest sort of voluntary employee survey, nearly 30% of our employees identified as not heterosexual, which I just think is really remarkable. And over half of my company is not white. And so if we just continually put that at the forefront of what we're trying to build every day and to make sure that inclusivity goes beyond sexual orientation, then I think it, you know, rounds out the employee experience and makes people want to keep working at Micmac. So, Rachel, what about legacy brands? Many of your clients on the platform are established companies and unlike you, didn't get to build it in the last decade or so. What counsel would you provide to them to avoid what I would characterize as pride pandering that can be so pervasive? Yeah, you know, I do a lot of informal consulting with our customers are huge CPG brands like Procter and Gamble, Kellogg's. And the thing that I say to them is I talk to them through the lens of Gen Z, you know, where nearly a third of Gen Z, again, it, it does not identify as heterosexual. And if they want to stand the test of time and that's their next great consumer, they need to make sure that their employees reflect their consumer base. And so that's sort of my rallying cry to corporate America is you need to change the makeup of your company internally if you want to be able to stand the test of time with the next generation. And I think a lot of them are, you know, making active investments in diversity, inclusion, recruitment, but then it goes towards career pathing as well. You know, it's a different experience joining a company when you're not the majority. And so it takes leadership and programming and investment and having just different expectations in terms of some of the hard skills that they need to have versus what are the skills that you could actually upskill someone to start to change up the makeup of the company. Rachel, what do you think, if anything, is missing from the discourse around Pride Month and brands? Well, I think it's you know everything that we've all sort of touched upon and you continue to read about. Pride should not just exist in the month of June. It should be an everyday occurrence. And identity is changing. It's so fluid. Um, and you know, depending on the type of company that you are working at, you know, customer segmentation is just going to have to be seen so differently. And, you know, right now it's, it's very hard to target online for people who identify under the pronoun they. And so just the entire infrastructure is really going to need to evolve in terms of how you drive customer acquisition and customer retention around a consumer that's just so much more fluid. Marvelous. Thank you for those insights, Rachel. So now staying in New York, hello, Walter. American Express, multinational financial services company, fascinating company and fascinating choice of words. You went with the somewhat expected, intriguing <laughs> rainbow. So tell us why rainbow? Well, I have to say I love Rachel's answer as well because we just had Pride Weekend here in New York City and joy was definitely the word I would use to sum up my experience. But when you ask me broadly what I think of, I do think about the rainbow flag. And I actually looked up that the flag was first designed in the late 70s by an artist named Gilbert Baker. But I think about the fact that it's become such a universal symbol for the fight for equality for our community. And when I think about my experience growing up, I would only see the flag 
in neighborhoods like Chelsea or the Castro and only in limited times of the year. And to be in this world that we're in now where the flag is all around the world, all around the city, and not just in the month of June gives me a lot of pride and excitement. I also just love that the flag has evolved and now we have new colors in a lot of the versions, black, brown, pink, and it's just a representation of the diversity of our community that I think is so special. Would you share a personal story? Sure, and I know you've asked some of the other panelists about kind of their experience coming out professionally, and I've been thinking about that a lot as well. And it's a tough question for me because I think the fear that I had is what actually prevented me from coming out at all in the early years of my career. I just know that from my early age, I had a vision of being successful in corporate America. I also had a vision for having a family. And unlike Rachel, who talked about having visible role models in the retail industry, I didn't feel that there were any visible role models for me in the financial services world, or even of, of gay men having a family. Like this was well before gay marriage was legal. This was well before there were as many options as we see today for family planning. And so I just didn't equate the experience of being gay with my vision of being successful in corporate America or having a family. And for me, that meant coming out was more of an evolution, right? It started off as me not really talking about my personal life at work. And over time, as I became more successful and started moving up, not only did I become more comfortable and understand the importance of just bringing my whole self to work, I also felt an obligation to my team in terms of the inclusive environment that I wanted to create for them and to be that role model for people coming behind me that I didn't necessarily have for myself. Thank you for sharing that. You mentioned your team. Let's talk about American Express. What is your strategy as it pertains to Pride? I, I'm reflecting on the fact that you have many partners, vast company, many members, and frankly, I would imagine split across the political divide. How do, how do you navigate that? How do you support the community, avoid the backlash, process that reality that is your market? Oh, well, there's definitely a lot to unpack there and our strategy definitely evolves annually because we wanna make sure that whatever we do is resonating with the times. And so this year, like every year, we think about what is the right theme, what is the right creative positioning based on not just what's happening in the community, but where American Express has a clear and authentic role to play. So this year, our focus was around living beyond labels. So we released content featuring a number of our LGBTQ colleagues talking about their journey and why it's so important that we recognize that we are all layered and we're complex and we cannot be defined by labels like straight or gay. We also were excited to have Janet Mock come and join us for a, a session much like this where we heard about her journey and we amplified her story to our customers as well. And what I'm most proud of, I think you know that I also lead our shop small programs. So we've continued our support of the LGBTQ small business community by amplifying their stories and just promoting to our customers the importance of promoting and supporting their businesses, not just in June, but all year round. And I think you raised a very hard question, right? It is difficult when your customers span that divide. And I liked how Bradford talked about, it goes down to your values and back to your values. Our values is that we proudly back all of our customers and that includes all of our merchants, all of our partners, 
regardless of where you stand on political issues. The, the, the focus on equal rights, the focus on respect are values that we're always going to hold. And so generally, if I'm behind a pride activation, I do ensure that senior leadership understands that there are risks and we will have social backlash, but that we have to hold hands and accept that that is a part of doing business the way that we want to do business and have the backs of our customers and our colleagues in doing so. Walter, you mentioned labels. And as a black man who also identifies as gay, there are many labels that you could be eligible for, depending <laughs> on how you characterize it. But do, how do you think consumers respond to social activism by brands? Is there fatigue from your perspective? I love that question. You know, my guess is that the next generation coming behind us, Gen Z, millennials, I don't think they're fatigued and I don't think that they're going to be fatigued until there's meaningful change, until we don't have to have a fight for equality or say that Black Lives Matter and until we have the society that reflects their values, right? I do think that some of the older generations might be feeling fatigued and this is a theory because this is a new paradigm. And I think of how much so much has changed over the last year and a half around brands being called to express a point of view, brands being called to task and being asked to really state where they fall on issues. And I think that with that being so new, there is some fatigue in some areas. But I know as a black man, as you pointed out, I'm never gonna tire of brands having my back. I'm never gonna tire of brands saying Black Lives Matter or or, or getting involved in Pride Month and supporting the communities. And I think that that's, that's what's important to continue to do, to just do what is right in terms of your values as a company. How do brands avoid being perceived as performative? I think by taking a stand. And like so many of the other panelists have said, by having a history and a consistency of authentically demonstrating with actions, not just words, with actions, not just post, with storytelling that's happening year-round versus just in the month, that you're not doing this for a performative moment. With every activation we do, we're always thinking about how it can be complemented with the right backing action. We've launched leadership academies specifically for uh, the LGBTQ community. We've done donations. I'm on the board of the Trevor Project. We've been able to support a really important work done by the Trevor Project by Stonewall Foundation over the years. And I think that's what it is. I think it's around taking that view of backing every kind of post with real action that's going to have impact for the LGBTQ community. Thanks for that, Walter, and for serving on the Trevor Project as well, board. Marvelous work. Okay, finally, waiting patiently. Thomas Renice, VP at Uber, infamous, famous technology company, ride hailing, and more. Your word, did I get it right? Was it change? It is, it is. Hi. And by the way, thank you for having me. So, so change. Tell, talk to us about the word and what the implications of that choice is. Yeah, and I think a number of people have talked about just the history of pride and kind of how it started. And I think of, you know, it started as a political movement, as a protest for change. Right, and that is its origin, and that's how it that's how it started. And so, and I think we often forget that because it's changed a lot over the years, right? Over the decades, the expression of pride 
And certainly the celebration of Pride has changed a lot. When I came out in the 90s, it felt very much like community and celebration. I think it's evolved more to, to be about politics again. And then the role of brands have also changed in sort of how we've shown up, how companies have shown up at Pride, right? I mean, decades ago to have a brand, you know, a major corporation show up at Pride was a pretty brave act. And then just two years ago, my last Pride parade that I attended, it was in 2019 in San Francisco, I marched with the employee contingent at Google when we had protests uh, against the corporations that were showing up and a threat to abort the entire event if Google and Facebook and others showed up at the event. So the whole thing for me about Pride is about change and, and the constant change that I think we're fighting for in the community, as well as change in how, how the moment itself is celebrated. And I'm hoping, you know, over the last two years with COVID and taking a pause from actually live events, while that's painful in many ways, I think we're all missing getting back to, to those, has caused us to think about, you know, kind of what is the importance of pride? How do we show up? Uh, what's the meaning? What's the meaning of pride? And, you know, how do, how do brands actually play a, a more meaningful role in the kind of change we're trying to create uh, as a result of, of pride? So, so you know, change just feels like exactly what, what pride embodies and what's beautiful about it. Thomas, you mentioned change. Has anything changed for you over the years in terms of your personal experience? Yeah, it's a great question. You know, I think a lot about your question around alienation. So I certainly have never felt alienated at work. I've been out in my job since since early 90s when I came out, but I was certainly not, I didn't feel that way as a kid. I grew up, you know, in a very conservative, Catholic, Republican community in Brooklyn. So a lot of uh, Rachel's story kind of resonated for me. And I always felt like an outsider. And I think that's what brought me to marketing. You know, there's the view of looking at the world from the outside in and sort of the, the ability to actually reflect kind of uh, what you see and what you think the needs of others are. And so I think that's really helped me be a stronger marketer. And I think I've gotten more comfortable in my own skin than being, you know, really public about who I am at work so that I can represent change for the people around me in the places that I, that I, that I work in now in the leadership positions that I'm in. Now at Uber, probably fair to say LGBTQ riders and drivers can face bias and discrimination. What actions do you take to ensure that everyone has a safe, non-combative experience? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, you know, we are, we are a platform, we're a marketplace, right? And so what we are really is a community is another word for it. We are a place that connects, you know, riders and drivers. We connect merchants with delivery people and we connect you know, restaurants with with food for eaters at home. So we've got to create a, a community or a place where everyone feels safe and they trust one another in order for the marketplace to function. It means you, know, you need to have a pretty broad umbrella so that everyone feels safe and comfortable being who they are. And so for us, it comes down to community guidelines and values, a lot of what Walter and others talked about and having really a clear expression of what those values are and an explicit agreement that everyone who participates in the marketplace adheres to those community guidelines of respect and trust and decency uh, for one another, no matter who you are, who you love, how you express yourself, your race, your religious background, anything. So we need to, first of all, ask people to explicitly agree to that, and then we need to hold them accountable when they don't, right? And, and so there's a lot of work that we do to ensure that we're looking into any incident and holding people accountable to the values that they've explicitly agreed to, and that we continue to renew that commitment to our community guidelines. We did that last year in the midst of all the protests that broke out in response to George Floyd. We're about to have another moment where we really ask people to, to not just agree, but to acknowledge what those, those values are, right? So that they're explicitly 
adhering to them when they ride on our platform, when they drive on our platform, when they serve food on our platform. Thomas, I'm thinking about transgender and non-binary drivers and delivery people. I would imagine they are particularly vulnerable in part because the name on their ID may not always represent their identity. Is there anything in particular you do to support that population? Yeah, so this year's campaign is Right to Pride, as you can see from my background, and I have the, the transgender flag behind me. This year, we really decided to lean into supporting the transgender community and making sure that they felt safe moving on our platform. So, you know, Uber's always been a brand that's st stood for movement and for the right to move freely and safely no matter who you are. And so the right to pride really kind of came out of the idea of the right to move and making sure that no matter your, your, your gender, your sexual identity, who you love, that you feel safe on our platform. And so this year we've leaned into how do we make sure that, first of all, internally, our policies are inclusive of transgender employees. And then on our platform and in our product, making sure that if you're transgender, that you can easily change your gender or your chosen name on our platform and in the app to show up as you want it, so that you feel safe identifying as who you are. And so, and we're, we're doing a number of things that go beyond that, like we're giving free drives to nonprofits who support the transgender community. We're also setting up a fund to help folks in the transgender community you know, change their names on legal documents, which can be quite costly as well as difficult to, to navigate. And so we're really trying to figure out, start with our employee base, making sure we're an inclusive place because I think that's where it all begins. Then making sure our product and our platform does the right thing to make sure that folks in the trans community feel safe can be who they are on our platform and then going out to the community and continuing to support there as well in my role i'm actually head of both marketing and social impact and so for me a really important part of the way we show up not just in june but throughout the year is as other people have said it's actions not words to me it's i, I say it's uh, actions not ads right it shouldn't be about an advertising campaign it needs to be about the ways that our company is actually taking a stand starting on the inside and then obviously in our product and in the community that we serve well, thank you for reminding us about the importance of supporting the transgender community i did notice the flag and it, it strikes me that that may well be where the battleground is now i believe that in the united states there's legislation targeting transgender people in over 30 states Anything you'd like to highlight, Thomas, briefly around how brands can avoid what I've dubbed as the rainbow washing and be indeed authentic? Yeah, I mean, so first, just a comment, you know, I, I think as Rachel said too, I have to, we have to acknowledge our own privilege, right? And as a white man, as a gay white man, I'm amazed by how much progress there's been, but then I have to remember how much progress we haven't made and how much change is still necessary trans community is, I think, a community that really we need to fight for and stand for. You know, it was often the letter in the LGBTQ plus, you know, acronym that was was the like last remembered when I when I was coming out in the 90s, right? We really need to embrace the trans community and, and really fight for change. As I think someone said on the, the panel earlier, right, just the mortality rate is the life expectancy is half of what it is for others. So and then there are countries around the world where it's, you know, not just unsafe, but it's illegal right, to, to be trans or to be gay. So there's certainly a lot that we need to do to continue to stand up for the for the whole community and making sure that everyone feels welcome. And so I, I think, you know, companies like Uber, again, like I think if in order to be not performative, to use the word that you keep using, I think you've got to you've got to root it in actions. It's got to be how you leverage the, the heft, the might of the resources of your company from your employee base to your products, to your services, to the resources you have to give to the community to really to really create change and not have it be about a marketing campaign. Great. Thank you for that, Thomas. Now we're going to go back to the top of the hour order again. 
uh, starting with Bradford. And I have a two-part commitment question. Same question for all our guests. First part, what is the most important high-impact thing a brand or an organization can do to support pride? And two, personally, what's your commitment as a marketing leader to the LGBTQ community? Bradford. I think it's probably the answer for both. One is um, be inclusive. So be inclusive with your with your uh, teammates, people that you're recruiting, how you recruit, be inclusive in your messages and be inclusive in how you show up 365 days a year and then build products that are inclusive um, and build experiences that are inclusive and uh, speak to people in meaningful, authentic ways. Okay. Mark, same question, hard to pick, the one thing, the most high impact. I think it's just be authentic. You know, we, we've talked about this across the, you know, across the board, and everyone on the speakers said this, you know, use the insights, ensure that your house is in order, understand the what and the why. And I think the why is the most important because if you don't do that, then you're setting yourself uh, up for failure. And your personal commitment, Mark? My personal commitment, admittedly, is to do more, um, but I've been uh, sort of taken away with all the stuff around COVID, being uh, working on the UK government's uh, COVID-19 response. I need to do more, and I'm going to commit to do more um, now in the future and beyond Pride and uh, forevermore. Thank you. Rachel, pick one thing, the most high impact brands can do, and please share your personal commitment. I would say have a executive leadership team that's reflective of the global population. And for me, this panel has actually just made me realize the intentionality that we, myself, has to make a commitment to help the trans community. And so that's going to be my promise to everyone here. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your learning with all of us. Okay, Walter. One thing and your commitment. I think it's really hiring and promoting strong LGBTQ talent, much like Rachel said. I think when you hire the right talent, then the work is going to speak for itself. It's going to naturally be more inclusive. You're going to show up in a more authentic way and you'll be able to be more inclusive in the environment that you're creating internally. Personally, I commit to continuing to be a proud and vocal voice in the community fighting for the black community for the lgbt new community uh, especially when i'm the only one in the room taking kind of that seat in the room and then i would also just say as a marketer i'll continue to tell diverse stories and ensure that the stories that we're telling in the marketing spend that we do are reflective of our community as well thank you walter thomas you get to conclude well, I agree with everything that was said. So I'm maybe try to say something that builds on it. But I think the thing I think companies should do and brands is do what only they can uniquely do, right? Leverage this the unique strengths of who they are and what they can offer. And that always starts to me with your product and your platform and how you show up in the world. As a person, as a marketer, as a as a gay leader, I think helping others be the change that we need in the world. So I recently joined the Victory Campaign Board, which helps elected uh, uh, LGBTQ plus folks get elected at all levels in this country. And I think we need more people in office who represent the community. Before I wrap up with my reflections, is there anything you'd like to emphasize? Anything I missed or anything you think we need to be aware of? Really rich discussion. Just wanted to 
one last moment to open the mic in case someone had a final thought or wanted to say something and missed the opportunity. All good. Okay. Well, in thanking you very, very much, here are my reflections. First, on behalf of all of us, I would very much like to pay tribute to our five speakers. It is still rare to see LGBTQ role models in marketing executive and founder positions. It is powerful for younger generations to hear your stories and see your success and instructive for all marketers to get your perspectives. Thank you. In preparation for this panel, I researched the LGBTQ pioneers and trailblazers, the people who have impacted generations with their activism, writing, and vision. Though not marketers, their words are highly applicable to brands and pride. I've selected three quotes to frame my observations. Audrey Lord on celebrating difference. In our work and in our living, we must recognize that difference is a reason for celebration and growth. It is not our difference that divides us. It is our inability to recognize, accept, and celebrate those differences. As marketers, we frequently live a tremendous irony. We would never launch a product without promoting its differentiation. Who isn't familiar with USP or unique selling proposition? Yet, in our ads, our messages, and often our teams, a lot of time is spent presenting sameness. We load employees who fit the culture, implicitly rewarding people for sublimating difference. The opportunity is to get curious about differences and create the conditions where everyone can be successful. Engagement, creativity, and commerce will surely follow. James Baldwin on authenticity. I can't believe what you say because I see what you do. Public support for the LGBTQ community matters. However, accountability and consistency also matter. There is a vast gulf between genuine support and opportunistic virtue signaling. The community can discern the distinction. Chances are allies will notice too. The opportunity is to portray LGBTQ people expansively while supporting marketing activity with meaningful, sustained actions for LGBTQ employees and other stakeholders. Harvey Milk on hope. The only thing they have to look forward to is hope. Hope for a better world. At its heart, marketing is about creating hope. Our craft is dedicated to inspiring dreams, persuading minds, and provoking actions. 
representation in marketing helps society move beyond stereotypes to empathy. By engaging in marketing that celebrates the LGBTQ experience, brands elevate visibility, ignite conversations, and change perceptions. The ultimate opportunity is to profitably build brands that reflect and shape a more inclusive society. Once again, thank you to our panel. We look forward to tracking your progress as you live the commitments shared today. This is the final episode of season three. We will be back in the autumn with both virtual and in-person programs. As ever, thank you to my co-producer, Alison Shiver, our team, Mick Smith, Aaron Proud, Aisha Ewing, Madison Shathan, blog editor and inspiration for this Pride series, Daniel Alonso, designer Gisem Garatis, and our entire Siegel and Gale team. And a reminder, you can share this episode and listen to all our previous CMO roundtables by subscribing now to How CMOs Commit wherever you enjoy podcasts. I would personally very much appreciate your review and rating. Meanwhile, on behalf of all of us at Siegel and Gale, I'm Margaret Malloy, thanking you for joining us. Thank you for joining How CMOs Commit. You've heard the strategic insights and professional commitments of top brand builders from around the world. I hope you also enjoyed my reflections on how this conversation is relevant to all marketers. Subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcast or your favorite podcast app. And please rate, review, and share this podcast. Until next time, this is how CMOs commit.